Thank you for tuning into The World Game, a World Cup podcast. The podcast that will have everything you need to know about the World Cup. There will be recap episodes throughout the tournament, so you won't miss a storyline. Maybe there was a 90th minute game winning goal. Maybe there was some controversy. Either way, we'll dive right into it. My name is Peter Roman. I've loved football all my life, and thanks for joining me on this journey. Before we get into the episode, I just have to mention the migrant worker situation. This is my World Cup final recap episode, and I still think it's important to mention this and talk about it. So thousands of people lost their lives in building the infrastructure for the World Cup stadiums. It's a horrible human rights tragedy. should have never, ever happened. And my heart goes out to the victims and their families. Now on to the episode. The World Cup Final. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. That was the greatest game. That was the greatest game of all time. And I realize I might be living in the moment too much, but I think that was the greatest game of all time. That game... How do I describe this game? It was amazing. It was outstanding. It was unbelievable. It was crazy. It was insane. It was ridiculous. It was exemplary. It was staggering, astonishing, and most of all, really, really fun. Argentina won this game on penalty kicks, 3-3, and then 4-2 on penalties. This was the greatest game. The greatest game of all time. The stakes, the goals, the players, the stories. And that game, that game, just the drama, the momentum swings, just everything. Everything was great. And so I'm going to talk about the entire game, everything it means. And yeah, man, what a what an amazing what an amazing final. What an amazing game France and Argentina gave us in this World Cup final. I just, yeah, like I, I get goosebumps when I think about it because it's not very often when you realize you're watching history, but like in that moment you realized you were watching history and history in the best possible way. Lionel Messi completed football. That was the last trophy he needed to win in his extremely impressive trophy cabinet of all the things he's won and all the things he's accomplished in this sport and he earned the player of the tournament award this time around in 2014 he got the award but it was completely undeserved he was really bad in like three of the knockout games including the world cup final itself and i couldn't believe they actually gave him the world cup like best player of the tournament award when it so obviously should have gone to james rodriguez this time around, he earned it. Messi earned that award. He was the best player in the tournament. He earned that. So I'm going to talk a lot about Messi in this podcast episode, of course. Kylian Mbappe, though, the first World Cup hat-trick on the men's side since Jeff Hurst. And Carly Lloyd's the only woman that's ever had a World Cup hat-trick in the final. It's, it's an unbelievable... Kylian Mbappe had the best performance in a World Cup final I've ever seen. I mean, it was an extraordinary performance from Kylian Mbappe. And this game just, man, it takes your breath away. There was just so many things that happened. 
By the way, my voice is like really shot right now. So if by the end of this podcast episode, it's like completely gone, I apologize. It's just, you can't help but, you know, you can't help but just yell and scream and just be excited about this sport and be excited about that game. I mean, how exciting was that game? That game was so great. So anyway, one of the big, I think, takeaways from this game was how similar it felt to 1986. Now, I wasn't alive during the 1986 World Cup final, but I remember the game, and I've done my research, and I've rewatched the game, of course. And the 1986 final, Argentina went up 2-0. It looked like it was going to be smooth sailing. It was going to be Maradona's crowning achievement. But West Germany tied it with two goals pretty quickly, one after the other. Sound familiar? And then the third goal. Diego Maradona had to produce a moment of brilliance. He played the pass that sent Buruchaga in to score and win the World Cup for Argentina. Now, for, Ar- for Argentina this time around, it took extra time. But Lionel Messi got the rebound, and he scored. The ball went over the line, 3-2. Very similar. A lot of shades of 86 in that. A lot of Maradona parallels for Lionel Messi. The difference is that this French team, unlike the West Germany team, that was really good in 86, but this French team has Kylian Mbappe, and he wasn't going to go away quietly. And so France got the tying goal, and it went to penalty kicks, and then Argentina win on penalties. But for anyone who knows the history of the game, you can't help but deny that that felt very similar. Messi's crowning achievement at the World Cup felt very similar to his predecessor, to the man that he looked up to in Argentinian football, to the man looking down on him from up above, who probably put a hand on his shoulder today and told him, that he did it, that he finally did it, and he won the World Cup. So that's pretty cool. Anyway, let's get into this game. I'm going to start with the Argentina side of things, and then I'll move to the France side of things. So the Argentina side of things, first of all, incredible performance in this game. This was quite simply Argentina's best game of the tournament, and they fully deserved to win. They were the better team, and it's really hard to think of players that didn't play well in this game for Argentina. That midfield three, my goodness, they they were just running the show. They were absolutely running the show. McAllister, Fernandez, and DePaul all played amazing in this game. They were on top of their positioning. They were tremendous in their tackling. They were great in their passing. They were just absolutely dominating the French counterparts on the other side in the middle of the field. They didn't let France have a sniff for most of this game, and they deserve a lot of credit for that. They played unreal in this game. Lionel Messi, of course, he had a really good game, and this was really Messi's first time playing super well for Argentina in an international final. He had the 2007 Copa America final. He was just a kid in that one, so it's a little hard to be too harsh but then in 2014 against Germany he was not good in that World Cup final and in the 2015 Copa America he was okay in 2016 he was okay but not great in 2021 
he wasn't very good, but he was good in every other game in that tournament. And so the team picking up the slack for him sort of felt right in some ways. He was good. Messi was actually good in this game. And I know his first goal was a penalty kick, which I'm going to talk about here in a second, but Messi was genuinely good in this game. But on to the first goal. So speaking of players that played well, Angel Di Maria. So Di Maria, he got injured during the middle of this tournament and he sort of made sparring, like he made cameo appearances kind of in the last two knockout games. But this game, he started. And it's unfortunate he couldn't play the whole game because he was Argentina's best player for the 60 minutes he played. Angel Di Maria, he is just a big game player. This guy shows up in finals. He's the one who scored the brilliant goal to beat Brazil at the Copa America in 21. He's the guy that actually won the Olympic gold medal when him and Messi were on the team together. He scored the game-winning goal in that one. Angel Di Maria is a big game player. He scores goals. He shows up every single time. So got to give him a lot of credit. Di Maria was just mesmerizing in this game. His dribbling, his movement, his speed, his, his crossing, his passing, like all of it was great. And his dribbling got him a penalty kick. Now, the penalty kick that led to Argentina's first goal, I think was a little bit of a fortunate call. I don't think it was a penalty. I think it was like minimal contact at best. But they called the penalty. VAR didn't overturn it. I think that was the wrong decision. But Messi stepped up and scored. So... First of all, you know, Messi had to slot it away. Good on him. And Di Maria made that happen because of how dangerous he was. However, just because Argentina, I don't think, deserved that penalty in particular, doesn't mean they didn't deserve to be in the lead. France didn't have a shot, like, not even a shot on goal. France didn't have a shot in this game for, like, 70 minutes, which is absurd to even think about. And so Argentina fully deserved to have the lead. Even if maybe that shouldn't have been the way they scored, they deserved to have the lead. They were way better than France. They generated way more chances. And, you know, the goal felt right on the run of play, even if the decision itself, I think, was incorrect. The second goal Argentina scored was a thing of beauty. That was counterattacking football at its absolute peak. That was these players and their team chemistry and just knowing where each other are on the field. It was some brilliant passing. Messi was involved in the passing move and then Alvarez played the ball through to McAllister who squared it across for Angel Di Maria who scores to put his country in the lead to nothing. And you could just see the emotion pour out of Argentina when that goal went in. It was a thing of beauty. Angel Di Maria was in tears after he scored that and the Argentinian fans and I think the players started to really really believe this was going to be their year this was going to be their tournament this was going to be their game that second goal was really really great in the second half they sat back a little bit more they didn't quite generate as many chances as they, as they had in the first half but they didn't really need to because they were suffocating France France had nothing going for them offensively in this game it was all Argentina all the time in this one and, you know, that's a big reason why I think they deserve to win this game is because France really just played as poor a game as I've ever seen from them. And Argentina played the best game I've seen from this group of players. 
you know, every group of players, like the the national teams tend to change quite a bit from year to year. But, you know, obviously you kind of have some carryovers. So this Argentina team has kind of been together for like two, three years. But this was a very different team from like 2018, for example. But this was the best game I've seen them play. I watched them in the Copa Americas. I watched them in World Cup qualifying. Best game I've seen them play. This was an exceptional performance. France obviously equalized with a pair of goals from Kylian Mbappe. I'll talk more about that when I talk about the France stuff a little bit later on. And then in extra time, because we're 2-2 in extra time, Argentina, and again, the parallels, the shades of 86, the shades of Maradona, the comparisons to Maradona, they had a brilliant little passing move. Martinez was onside, literally by the butt of Rafael Varane, which was kind of funny to see on replays. And Martinez's shot was saved by Hugo Lloris, who made an outstanding save on that initial attempt. And then Messi's rebound. You know, initially, I wasn't quite sure if it crossed the line or not, but the referees, they have their watches. If it buzzes, it crossed the line because of the goal line tech. Messi scores. That was Messi's moment. Messi making the difference. Messi finally showing up and playing what I always knew he was capable of but he didn't quite show it enough for Argentina especially in the big games he did it all the time for Barcelona I've seen this guy in El Clasico's I've seen this guy in Champions League finals I've seen this guy in Copa del Rey finals I've seen him produce the magic and the brilliance for Barcelona but he hasn't done it enough for Argentina but he did today he did it in this game and this is exactly what I've wanted from him for you know the better part of a decade and he finally did it and I couldn't be happier for him because it really is his storybook it really is Messi's storybook ending to this World Cup of course it wouldn't end like that because Kylian Mbappe had something to say about that but then it went to penalty kicks and Argentina had four guys step up so Argentina and penalty kicks has sort of been a mixed bag for them over the last, like, little while, like, during Messi's career, where they won the shootout in 2014 to help get them to the World Cup final, and then in 2015 and 2016, they lost back-to-back to Chile in the Copa finals. In 2015, Messi was the only one to hit his penalty. Everyone else missed. So it felt kind of right that, like, his teammates were there to back him up. So Messi scores, steps up and scores. Paolo Dybala scores. Paredes scores. And Montiel with the biggest kick of the football in Argentinian history for the last, like, the biggest kick since probably 86. And he buries it. Montiel's was probably the best penalty of the bunch. Paredes wasn't a great penalty, but Lloris just couldn't keep it out, even though, you know, he probably should have. And Dybala went right down the middle. And Messi... Lloris tried to fake him out, was a little bit unsuccessful, but he did sort of get a, you know, not great penalty out of Messi, but it was hard enough, like hit with enough power anyways, that it went in the net, so it didn't matter. And that was it. Argentina won, and they 100% deserved to win. They were the better team in this game. And they're the world champions. Congratulations to Argentina. They are the champions of the world winning their first World Cup since 1986 and their third World Cup trophy. So, obviously, the biggest storyline out of coming out of this game is 
people saying Messi is now the undisputed greatest of all time. What I will say about this, because I'm going to have like a legacy episode where I do a real deep dive into like all the, or at least for me, my like top 15 legends, icons of the sport. But I will talk about this briefly because I think, I think it's important to talk about and I think it's appropriate to talk about following this game. Messi, for the first time in my life, I believe has a legitimate claim to the greatest of all time title. Before the tournament started, I didn't think that because I thought Messi had too many things, at least for me, that kept him a little bit below Pele and Maradona. This World Cup, he's absolutely surpassed Maradona. For me, he's absolutely surpassed Maradona. So then it's just a question of, has he surpassed Pele all time? And for myself, the answer is still no. However, and I want to, ex- I want to explain my opinion because I have a lot of research on this stuff. It's not about what Messi hasn't done. What Messi's achieved is nothing short of incredible. And if people want to say he's the greatest of all time, I'm okay with that. Because I think there is a legitimate case to make that Messi is the greatest of all time. I just think it depends what you value. If you value things like Ballon d'Ors, if you value things like Champions Leagues, if you value things like goals scored, if you value things like club achievements, and if you value things like, you know, performing decently well at international competitions, Messi absolutely has a very legitimate case to be the greatest of all time. The reason why I don't think for myself personally that he's the greatest of all time is, again, nothing to do with what Messi doesn't have, but rather what Pele has. And I think what Pele has is really hard to overcome. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to just make my case, my Pele case, the reason why I think he's the greatest of all time, based on my research of this sport, based on how many hours I've spent watching this sport, and based on what I've read and what I've you know, really tried to acknowledge about the history of the sport. So first I have to dispel a few myths because these myths are mostly completely untrue and it's what some, let's call them misinformed or misguided people use to try and delegitimize Pele's legacy. So let's go with the most common three, all right? So the first myth I'm going to dispel here is that Pele played against farmers. So those people are trying to say that Pele played against really poor opposition and therefore his achievements should be discredited. First of all, that's a big load of crap. Secondly, the reason why it's a big load of crap is because back then football was really different, especially club football. So back in Pele's era, because Pele played in the late 50s and then the 60s and the early 70s, back in his era, players played in their own country. So for example, the best Brazilian players played in Brazil. The best Argentinian players played in Argentina. The best Portuguese players played in Portugal. The best Spanish players played in Spain. The best, you know, Hungarian players played in Hungary. The best Italian players played in Italy, etc. The reason why that's important to remember is because people try to use the current state of the Brazilian league to say that, oh, well, the Brazilian league is, isn't very good anymore, so why, you know, why did Pele never play in Europe? Why was he never playing against the best? All this stuff. 
But if you think about it this way, if you took all the best Brazilian players in the world right now, and if you put them in the Brazilian league, it wouldn't be so bad anymore, would it? If the Brazilian league had players like Neymar, like Allison, Ederson, Gabriel Jesus, Martinelli, Charleston, Casemiro, Fabinho, Roberto Firmino, if those guys all played in the Brazilian league, it wouldn't be so bad anymore, now would it? Because you have quite a few good players, right? You have quite a large number of good Brazilian footballers that suddenly make the league a very viable competition. And you're not playing against scrubs. You're not playing against farmers. You're playing against really good players, right? And some of them might be on your team, but a good chunk of them probably are on other teams. And you're playing against them. And that's kind of where the argument falls apart is when people fail to understand the history and are misinformed about the way football used to work. So that's the first thing, is that the competition he played against was very good at the time. The Brazilian league back then was arguably the best league in the world because Brazil had more good players than most countries did. So that's the first thing. The second myth I need to dispel is that Pele didn't play with the offside rule. Now this one's hilarious to me because a simple Google search could like you don't even have to do like insane research for this. The offside rule came into place like 30, 40 years before Pele started playing. Like the the more modern version of the offside rule, anyways. So yeah, that one's a complete that one's completely false and not in the slightest bit true. So that's the second thing. The third thing is that the defending was really bad in Pele's era. Now this one is at least partially true but also partially false and needs a lot of context. So yes, the defending in Pelé's era and in Maradona's era was a lot worse than it is today. That's true from a strategy tactics point of view. The defending that is performed by teams in the modern era, like today over the last couple decades, is a lot superior than what it was back then. And the reason for that is just like people learning more about strategies and figuring out better ways to defend good players and that type of stuff. However, defending back then, it was not like it was easier to play back then. It was just different. Because nowadays, it is more difficult because as a player, you have to be able to find a way to break down a certain defense and the way a team is defending you and the strategy involved with modern day defending. However, back then, defending looked a little more like rugby where players had a lot of license to get away with more stuff because referees didn't call that much back then and you could get away with a lot more. So the best players tended to get fouled a lot. And when I say they got fouled a lot, I mean they got kicked a lot. And this was the very common strategy to deal with good players is you'd foul them and hard fouls because you could get away with them. In fact, in Pele's era, for most of his career, he played without yellow and red cards. Those didn't come into place until the 1970 World Cup. So it was really hard to get kicked out of games. And for that reason, it was still really difficult. It's really difficult today to score goals and do all of the attacking play you want to do. But it was also really difficult back then, just for different reasons. And I don't think that should be held against somebody. All right, so those were the three myths I wanted to, like, just... I wanted to completely eliminate them because they're the three most common arguments I see from misinformed and misguided people online. 
But if they did their history and if they did some research, they would know that all of that was wrong. So Pele's, my argument for Pele basically goes like this. He has 12 World Cup goals in 14 games, which is one of the best records ever. Messi actually has more than Pele. He has 13 goals in the World Cup, but he's played in 26 World Cup games. So the goals per game is a lot lower. Pele won two World Cups as a significant contributing factor. In fact, as the best player on both his teams. Pele has won three World Cups. He does have three World Cup medals. But in 1962, he only played two games because he got injured. And Garincha was the best player on that team when they actually won the World Cup. So it's hard for me to give like an enormous amount of credit to Pele, considering he only played two group stage games. He was on the team that won the World Cup in 62, but he wasn't the best player and he wasn't a significant contributing factor. In 1958, when he was a 17-year-old, he was the best player on the Brazilian team that won the World Cup for the first time ever. And then in 1970, he won the Golden Ball for the best player in the tournament and helped Brazil win their third title in four tournaments. Messi has a career total for goals so far of 793 in 1,003 appearances. That's 0.79 goals per game, which is an outstanding record. And the total goals is actually higher than Pele's. Pele in official matches, because I know one of the things people don't like is when Pele says he has over a thousand goals scored, which is technically true, but it includes like friendly games. And I don't like including friendly games. So in the official matches that he's played, his goals per game is 0.95 because it's about 720 goals in 757 games. So the goals per game is higher than Messi's for the career. Pele didn't win the Copa America, so Messi has that on him, but he did score eight goals in seven games in the lone Copa America he did play in, and he won the best player in the tournament award. Not to mention, in that Copa America, there wasn't an official like final, because it was a group stage, and that's how they decided the rankings that year. But in the unofficial final against Argentina, it was 1-1 and Argentina ended up winning the trophy. You know who scored the only goal in the 1-1 unofficial final for Brazil? Pele, big game player. Pele won a bunch of league titles. You know, that's pretty common for a lot of the really great players. He won two Copa Libertadores titles, which is the South American equivalent of the Champions League, and he won two Intercontinental Cups. So for the people that say he didn't play against European teams, well, in 62 and 63, he played Benfica, European champions at the time, and he played Milan, also European champions at the time. They were played in like two, um, two-legged aggregates, basically. Against Benfica, he led Santos to the victory, scoring five goals in two games, beating Eusebio's Benfica. Eusebio, by the way, another icon of the sport. And then against Milan, he only ended up playing one of the game due to injury, one of the games due to injury. But he, you know, scored two goals in that. So he had seven goals in three games he played against those European teams. And those were the best of the best. So I think it's fair to say that the he didn't play in Europe argument has no weight. Pelé didn't win the Ballon d'Or either. However, the Ballon d'Or was not awarded to non-European players until the mid-90s. So until the mid-90s, the award was a European-only award. So guys like Pelé and Maradona never won the Ballon d'Or. 
So what I like to do, based on my research and based on studying the game, is I like to go back and think about, okay, well, if the Ballon d'Or was awarded to everybody and not just European players, how many would Pele have won, hypothetically? Because Messi's seven Ballon d'Ors is a really big, like, it's a really big argument in his favor, and I won't deny that at all. Unfortunately, because the award was never given out, it's impossible to say how many Pele would have actually won. And it's basically you're doing your best guess. So based on my research, about seven or eight is what I think he would have won. But that's just my opinion. Other people might have different opinions. And that's okay, because it's really impossible to know. So for all those reasons I just outlined, those are the reasons I think that Pele is the greatest of all time. And it's not taking anything away from Messi. Messi absolutely, I think, has a case for it. But at least for me, in the things I value with the greatest of all time, I value the international performances really highly, especially the World Cup performances. Because for me, the World Cup is the biggest stage in the sport. It's the highest pressure moments you can ever face as a player. So for example, if a player plays really well in round one of the NBA playoffs, let's say, or maybe round one of the you know, NFL playoffs, well, there's a lot of pressure to that. But if you play in the Super Bowl, or if you play in the NBA Finals, or if you play you know, in, in any league's like big tournament um, final, like maybe it's the Stanley Cup final, maybe, maybe it's the Olympics, right? Those moments have the most pressure to them. Well, for football, the equivalent is the World Cup. The World Cup games are the equivalent to the Super Bowl, to the NBA Finals, to the Stanley Cup Finals, to the Olympics. That's the equivalent. So I put a lot of value on that stuff because I think it's the highest pressure moment in the sport, and I want to see what players play well and don't. If certain other people don't want to put as high value on that compared to some of the club achievements, that's fine. They're more than welcome to do so. But for me, the World Cup stuff is really important, which was why I think this tournament, for me, was really important in putting Messi second all time and having a legitimate case to be the greatest of all time. Because without this World Cup, it would be a lot of disappointment on the biggest stage with the highest pressure. But this World Cup was really, really special. And Messi deserves to be praised for that. He was exceptional in this World Cup, and there's no other way to put it. He scored seven goals at this World Cup. And I know a lot of them were penalties, but you, number one, you do have to score your penalties. And number two, more importantly, he was good in these games. If you watch the games, he was good in them. He was not a passenger. He was not disappearing. He was not just okay. He was good. He was really good. And he deserves a lot of credit for that. So my whole thing with Pele, it's not to discredit Messi, and it's not to take anything away from Messi. It's just to outline that there have been some really, really great players in the history of this sport. And if you want to say Messi's the greatest of all time, I'm okay with that, because I think there's an argument there. For me, I make my argument the other way, and I think that's okay. So that's my stuff for Argentina. On to the France stuff. So for France, how do I put this? They sucked. This was the worst France game I've seen in probably like six years. <laughs> like, I'm not even joking. This was a really, really dreadful French performance. There was a handful of players who like didn't suck in this game, but like, let's look at this. Let's look at the starting line. All right. 
So we have Olivier Giroud, who came in with an injury, didn't play that well. Antoine Griezmann, maybe the worst game I've ever seen from him. He just, they couldn't put together two passes, and he was a big reason why they couldn't. Usman Dembele, didn't do a whole lot. Chouameni, really bad. Rabio, really bad. Theo Hernandez, really bad. Upamecano, bad. Varane, bad. And, you know, Kunde I thought was okay, but, like, yikes. If that's your starting lineup and, like, there's one guy who, like, didn't suck and one guy who actually played well, you're not going to win many games doing that. But it just felt like Argentina, like, they ran circles around them. They shredded through that French defense. France couldn't put together any attacks. Any long ball they tried was overhead or just misplaced. They couldn't put together two passes, and they couldn't get out of their own zone. It felt like such a struggle to even get the ball out of their own half, in the, especially in the first half. Like, this was a rough, rough performance for France. And like I said, they didn't even have a shot attempt until, like, the 70th minute or something like that. Really, really embarrassing for a lot of these players how poorly they played. Fortunately, they have one of the all-time greats, Kylian Mbappe. So I'm going to talk about the goals really quick. So for France's first goal, Turam was basically clipped in the box, penalty kick for France, and Mbappe stepped up. Martinez got a piece, but not enough, and it was a goal. And then not even like a minute later, it was a beautiful like back-and-forth header play with Turam, and Kingsley Coman was the one who won the ball initially. But then Kylian Mbappe, with one of the best volleys you'll ever see, he smashed the ball into the back of the net, and it was a pure moment of brilliance, a pure moment of genius from Kylian Mbappe. He showed up and produced a moment when his country needed it the most, and that, I mean, that's all you can say about that. And then in the extra time, he was really dangerous the whole time, and the third goal, the ball came out to him on a corner, took a shot, might have gone in if it wasn't blocked by the elbow of Montiel, and then the penalty kick given, Mbappe, perfect penalty, right in the corner, and so he got himself a World Cup hat-trick, only the second men's player to ever get a World Cup hat-trick. In the penalty shootout, Mbappe was the first one to step up, and he scored, and I know they were all penalty kicks, you know, three of his that went in were penalties, but... It's really hard to score penalties three times in the same game against the same goalkeeper. So credit to Mbappe for slotting them away. So Kylian Mbappe, I said that if he won this game and played well, he'd be a top 15 player of all time. I don't care that his team lost. He was so damn good, I don't care. He willed his team to have a shot at that. Mbappe... While he was pretty quiet for, you know, the opening 70 minutes of the game, the last, like, 30-ish minutes of, like, I'm including stoppage time in this, the last, like, 30 minutes of regulation plus extra time, Mbappe was immense. He was everything you could ever want out of a superstar. He had, in my opinion, the greatest performance in a World Cup final ever. He's also, by the way, the leading scorer in World Cup in a World Cup final because he has four goals that's more than anyone's ever had in a World Cup final. His hat trick is only the second one ever done in the men's game and the first since 1966. 
And Mbappe with his eight goals in this tournament. Yes, I said eight goals. That's the most since R9 Ronaldo in 2002. He now has 12. He has 12 World Cup goals at the age of 23. And you know who that's tied with? Pele. You want to know how many games Mbappe has played in World Cups? 14. You want to know how many Pele played in his career? 14. Mbappe already has the same goals scored and goals per game as Pele at the World Cup. That in itself, I think, tells you all you need to know about how great his performance was, but also how great he's been for his country and how amazing Mbappe has been at the two World Cups he's played at so far. It's truly an exceptional feat what he achieved in this final, and it was very much in spite of the performances from his teammates. However, I do want to shout out a couple teammates. Kolo Muwani, I think, played pretty well since coming on because he came on as a sub. And unfortunately for him, he had a really bad moment, which I'll talk about. Koman, I thought, was all right as well since coming on. And then Kamavinga on defense, I thought, played well since he came on as well. But of course, none of these players started. So an interesting thing about France. So Didier Deschamps. I'm very critical of him because I just don't think he's that great of a coach. But I actually sympathize with him in this game. Because he had to make subs before halftime. And if you know this sport as well as I do, you know how rare that is. It is very rare to see a non-injury-related substitute like before halftime, essentially. And that's what Deschamps did because he was desperate. And he was like, my team is sucking. And I don't know what to do because, like... If you're a coach and you put out your best lineup and they go out there and just suck, you feel kind of helpless because you're like, well, I mean, okay, I'll make some changes and hope something works, but, like, these are my players. And they're not playing poorly because I put them out in a bad formation or the opponent is taking advantage of something. No, they're just sucking. They just can't put any passes together. They can't generate any offense. So anyway, that was kind of shocking, but on to the France substitutes, Kolo Muani. So Muani had a chance to be a national hero in this game because with literally like no time left at the second half of extra time, he the ball got played in long from Konate and the ball bounced beyond the Argentinian defender and he had a one-on-one with Emmy Martinez. Kolo Muani could have been a national hero if he scores that. Unfortunately, he's an inexperienced player that ran into a goalkeeper who made the save of his life. And Emmy Martinez, that save he made at the end of extra time might be the greatest save in World Cup history because it literally kept another team from winning a trophy. France didn't win this game because Emmy Martinez made one of the best saves of all time. That's amazing to think about. And that's crazy to think about that France were that close to winning despite the fact they didn't play well at all in this game. Outside of Mbappe, they didn't play well at all. But they still had a chance. And that's, you know, really, really cool. Mwani, by the way, him and Chuameni after the game apparently were receiving racial abuse from fans. I'm going to say fans in quotations. Those people can go screw themselves. Those are the absolute disgusting, worst kind of people. It's a sport. 
not only is like racial abuse never ever allowed and should never ever be like done to anybody but it's a freaking sport man it's a sport grow up get a life and go f yourselves those people are the absolute worst and i say this not only to french fans that are you know sending horrible messages to players for not playing well in a game you can be angry that a player didn't play well but racially abusing someone is never ever okay but this goes out to all fans that do that stuff england fans were doing it when their players miss penalty kicks at the end of the european championships and it was just as disgusting then as it is now you can't you can't do that that's just never ever acceptable and those people can go f themselves if i was allowed to swear on this podcast i would right there but i hope my anger and resentment comes through properly and when you're listening to this i hope that you know you can sort of understand where i'm coming from on this perspective and if you think differently than that feel free to just never ever listen to my podcast because if you feel that way that's you know racially abusing someone's okay just please like leave the earth and never come back simple as that all right on to more actual sports stuff so for france my closing thing here with them this was obviously a really tough loss because they could have won despite the fact they didn't play that well but they're going to be the prohibitive favorites going forward this team is very stacked and they were missing like how many good players in this tournament and it didn't matter because they still made the final and they were very close to winning the final itself they're a very young team for the most part and they'll be back they'll be the favorites at the euros in 24 they'll be the favorites in canada usa mexico in 2026 i have no doubts about that this french team will be the prohibitive favorite and for Kylian mbappe we're just getting started on his career and i can't wait to see what he does going forward because the sky's the limit for him the sky is the limit for what mbappe could possibly achieve in this sport and internationally speaking he's already won the world cup at the age of 19 and he's had one of the greatest world cup final performances of all time probably the best performance of all time and if it wasn't for Lionel Messi he would have won the golden ball in this tournament too so anyway I want to close things out with my team of the tournament this is the best 11 that I could come up with of players that I think played really well at the tournament that I think deserve recognition so I went for a three three four which is not a real formation that people use, but for the purposes of this segment, I'm just going to go with it. So in goal, I picked Lobakovic. Now, Emmy Martinez actually won the Golden Glove for the best goalkeeper in the tournament. I'm okay with him winning that award. I just think Lobakovic was more important to Croatia's success than Emmy Martinez was to Argentina's. You could certainly argue the other way. That's just my personal opinion. In defense, my three-man defense, I have Guardiol from Croatia. Akimi from Morocco and Saiz from Morocco. Morocco and Croatia had the best defenses at this tournament, so I think they deserve a lot of recognition for that. In my three-man midfield, I have Antoine Griezmann, Amrabat, and Fernandez. Fernandez from Argentina, Amrabat from Morocco, and Griezmann from France. Griezmann, outside of the final, was really good in this tournament. Amrabat, very, very good tournament. And Fernandez won the Young Player of the Tournament award. Again, you could have argued for a few other people, but I was okay with that decision. I think 
Fernandez was a good choice for the Young Player of the Tournament award. And then my front four. I have Giroud, who scored four. Alvarez, who scored four. And then, of course, Mbappe and Messi, who will forever be linked with this World Cup because the two of them put on a show, not only today, but the entire tournament, for the entire month, they put on a show. And I'm so happy I got to witness that because you want to see the best players performing at their best. These were the best players performing at their best. You had the best player of his generation performing at his best at 35. And you had the best player in the world finally taking the ascent properly to his throne. So anyway, that's all I got for the game for this World Cup final. It was an epic, classic spectacle of a World Cup final. So a couple things. Really quickly, my podcast, uh, even though the World Cup is now over, I will have a couple episodes this upcoming week. One is the legacy episode where I do a deep dive on how things change historically for the greatest players of all time, including my personal top 15 list. And then I'm also going to have my top 10 moments and goals of the FIFA World Cup. So be on the lookout for that because I will have two more episodes of my podcast dropping later this week. And then finally for this episode, my closing thoughts on the World Cup now that the tournament is over. The Qatar World Cup will be remembered for lots of great play on the field and the greatest final of all time. And of course, Morocco being one of the best underdog stories we've ever seen. But it will also be remembered for slave labor, horrible treatment of migrant workers, and the really awful anti-LGBTQ stances. FIFA outlawed, you know, the one love armbands in this tournament because they threatened to give people yellow cards if they wore them. And that's in addition to the other stuff that we saw in Qatar. Although, thankfully, no one was, like, violently injured or violently discriminated against. But it's still really, really awful. And it will be a stain, and it will remain on this World Cup for the end of time. And so I watch for the players... I watch this sport, I watch this tournament for the players that deserve the praise and deserve the admiration. But it's also important that we don't forget the horrible human rights violations and how awful FIFA continues to be at running the greatest tournament of all time. Because FIFA's the worst. FIFA sucks. And FIFA, like the racist people at you know, directing messages at players can go F themselves. So with the joy and happiness that comes from the World Cup, there also needs to be reflection about the sadness and the pain that it's caused. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The World Game, a World Cup podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I will be doing reaction episodes throughout the tournament. The music is from Pixabay. The whole thing gets going on November 20th, so make sure you subscribe and don't miss a moment of the 2022 World Cup.